Kelsey. And it's time to hate watch with us. Hello, Kelsey. <laughs> <laughs> this is just such natural and organic conversation. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm good. I just heard you say it's time to hate watch. Well, uh, uh, uh. Like, that's what it sounded like on my end. <laughs> it's probably not far from what I actually said. Yeah, is that podcast juice getting to you? All that podcasting juice, y'all. I actually oh, had a small... <laughs> it's going to be podcasting gold that only our listening audience is privy to. Ooh. So I had this panic. We, so we were prepping our podcasting juice, as it were. And I had prepped this beautiful cocktail, and I had a backup glass of whiskey. And at the last second, I panicked and decided that I wanted wine. And But then I didn't want to throw out the whiskey, and I don't own a funnel. So I had to very carefully and artfully pour the whiskey back into my very fancy bottle of whiskey that has, like, a big, long, thin neck. But at the end of it, I have wine. So it's, it's good, and I'm ready, and I'm here. It was the right choice, I think. It was the right choice. And now I feel so much closer to you, though you are far away with your wine. Aww. Aww. It's a true love story. So, Kelsey, (laughs) talk to me about what we're talking about today. So the first thing I think we're going to talk about today is a hot-button issue in our love story, (laughs) which is cord cutting. You are a cord cutter, and I am... Not a cord cord cutter. Woo. <laughs> How about that podcasting juice now? Yeah. Anyway, cord cutting. So we're talking about yeah. it. You can you can go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to ask if you felt ready to uh, give our kind and lovely listening audience a quick primer on cord cutting. Sure. As the resident so, non cord cutter. As the resident non cord cutter. Um, a long time ago, TV was created. <laughs> Is that too far back? The seventh day. God <laughs> said, let there be cable. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to one hour of Kelsey and I thinking we're clever. <laughs> Watch with us, Kirstie and Kelsey do comedy. What a joy this is. Um, so. All right, so on the seventh day, God created cable. On the seventh day, cable was created. Then this thing called the internet came around, and then Netflix was created. Things like Netflix were created. Things like CBS All Access were created. <laughs> that we'll never understand why. No. So anyway, cord cutting is when you choose to opt out of traditional like cable packages and just use streaming services for all of your television and movie needs yeah it's um a rather empowering practice is it though Um, it is because it frees you from the shackles of the monopolistic media conglomerates but it you're also buying into Hulu, which is a media conglomerate. Let's not I forget. I have it known that I do not pay Hulu. Yeah, because I know someone who pays Hulu. That is why you don't pay Hulu. <laughs> so this is where we come to the core of the issue between the two of us. Um, not so much about the payment, but sort of about, like, why we have made the choices that we do and, like, at the core of it, 
why we have str such strong feelings about the ways in which we choose to access media. Um, because for Kelsey and I, it's like two very different issues. So I'm a cord cutter. I'm proud of it. I first got rid of cable in, I want to say it was like 2011. Um, it was my second college apartment. And Comcast had upped my rates for like the last goddamn time I went from paying a bill of like $90 a month for cable and internet. No, it was 70, $70 a month for cable and internet to paying $290 a month in a span of a year and a half. So I was like, fuck this. I'm out. So, um, so we got rid of cable, switched to Netflix, um, which at the time I could only get through my Wii on a disc that you had to put inside the Wii to make it work. Ooh, remember that time? remember that time and it was still at a time when your plans also came with dvds so anything they didn't have on streaming we would just mail so that was the year that we watched all of season one of pokemon which was only available on dvd um it was, it was simpler times uh while playing pokemon on roms on our laptop because none of us owned game boys you might be sensing a theme in uh, some of my life stories here. <laughs> so, uh, so what I learned, though, from getting rid of cable that first time around is that I immediately did not miss it. And I was thoroughly expecting to because I had grown up with cable. I spend a lot of time watching HGTV. It was just part of my rhythm, as it is for most people who have cable. But as soon as we got rid of it, I would go and watch an hour or two of something random on Netflix, and then I would be done for the rest of my life. And it was fucking glorious to just turn off the TV and not think about it ever again. Um, so long story longer, I have a very selective media landscape. Um, I am not terribly adventurous in my media. I like my media to be pre-screened to make its way through gatekeepers and through thorough vetting to make its way to me. And yeah, what it's all really frustrating. <laughs> what it all boils down to for me is like I I just don't want to pay the overhead for content that I have no time or interest in. I mean I understand, I just don't think I could do it. And maybe that makes me a weaker human, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm gonna own it. Cable TV is really a metaphor for self control and self worth. Probably, yes. So I have never cut cable in my life because it would be terrifying. Um, I love more than anything, I participate, I guess, in a tradition called drop everything and watch the parent trap. More on this later, <laughs> but basically whenever the parent trap is on like E or any of those random networks, you stop everything you're doing, you leave all of your obligations aside and you sit and you watch the entirety of the parent trap. <laughs> it's glorious. You can't do that when you're a cord cutter because you don't get the treat of just finding something you love on TV. Like, oh, there's a Harry Potter weekend marathon. Like, cool, that's my weekend. You don't yeah, get and that, that. Is you my have favorite to choose tradition. to make that. Yeah, so you have to choose to set that up versus just have it happen to you. And sometimes it's nice to have it happen to you. This sounds a little sexual. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is. I mean, if you're talking I mean, about the like... trap, Nick Parker, <laughs> all the way. <laughs> Um, I guess as a cord cutter, I'm not sitting here pretending that it doesn't come with challenges, uh, which you alluded to, particularly with your nice little jab at Hulu. Um, it is hard because I do, my content is split between so many different options, um, and I have to make a lot of deals with the devil, um, whether the devil be Hulu or um, 
whatever fuckery YouTube is up to that day. I don't know what the fuck they were trying to do to me when they came out with YouTube Red, but I'm pretty sure that I kicked them in the shins and then ran the fuck away. Um, whatever the consumer <laughs> equivalent of that is. <laughs> um, so, like, it's hard, and you do lose some of the little joys, like running across Harry Potter um, weekend or getting to watch Harry Potter for all of December because Chris Columbus put one Christmas tree at Hogwarts, so now it's a Christmas movie. Um, <laughs> oh, Chris. Or, like, you know, I loved HGTV, and there is some HGTV available on streaming. Um, like, Hulu has, like, whatever their Montana House Hunters show was. Um, but those aren't as fun to watch in streaming form as, like, running across reruns. Like, one of my biggest complaints recently is that, or since Friends made it onto Netflix, is that there's no shuffle feature. Right. Like, I don't want to have to go through and pick episodes that are in order. I just want the episodes of something old and beloved, like Friends, to just sort of play at random. So Like it might on cable at any time, <laughs> day or night. So it's, like, not a perfect system. But at the same time, like, I don't want to be paying like however much a month like 10 million trillion dollars a month so that I can watch the equivalent of like three dollars a month of content yeah I mean I'll admit that I do not watch as much live cable as I thought I might I guess Mm -hmm. when I moved out of my parents house and had my own cable bill um besides the fact that I really need it for sports for my job um, which is actually a big reason to keep it. Um, Such a show-off. I'm not a show-off. It's a real reason. <laughs> You're rude. Um, I use cable the most for on-demand, um, for just catching up on shows right after they air. Um, so we're never around to like see a live show for the most part, but we'll always just catch up with whatever came out that week when we're watching dinner. And so that's what I really use cable for the most is for on-demand. Well, and I feel like that's my frustration, because I'm also a live plus seven kind of person. I don't watch live. I never will. Um, so, I it just, it feels like cable is trying to trap you into feeling like there is a use for it. And then there's the secondary market through internet streaming, where there's almost a perfect use for what cable is trying to achieve. And, like... I mean, I'm no expert, and I have no background in economics, so what the hell do I know? But I'm assuming that if networks weren't so deeply invested in the infrastructure of cable, that there would be a way to build out the secondary market of streaming so that it would look more like a custom market for consumers and still achieve some of the needs of cable, but like be a better middle ground, and then someone like me would be happier with that like if there were a cable package where I got you know the list of all 4,000 channels and I could just pick a couple or even better I could just pick the shows I wanted access to not even the channels and then I only had to pay five dollars a month and like still had to deal with some ads I would hella be here for that cable network so to me that cable network is so 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 close to the YouTube announcement this week that sorry we're going to be a little bit behind by the time you're listening to this but the YouTube <laughs> announcement this week that YouTube TV was coming out and it's $35 a month it's a lot of really great channels I was actually surprised at what they got um the, my biggest complaint is that HGTV is not on board but yeah. they have all the major broadcast networks they have a lot of the national sports networks they have your like Freeform, which was ABC Family, so I don't know what happened there. Um, 
you know, they've got, like, stuff like that so you can still catch your, like, random movie marathons and whatever you want for $35 a month, which feels reasonable to me. Yeah, it's kind of a lot. My other issue, which you and I had a heated debate about this, uh this week that our listeners are not going to be privy to, which is probably best for them anyway. But my issue with that is by hosting a paid subscription service via YouTube, it essentially kills the free market side of YouTube. Um, So I I was on this whole rampage about um, being like a last remaining child of the free internet, which was the period of time when all things on the internet were free and it was okay to have an entitlement complex about not having to pay for content. Now, real quick, I'm just going to qualify that I do actually believe in paying for content and I do actually believe that um, paying for the artistic creation and the work that goes into content is a worthy cause and that I'm not trying to stiff artists for the work that they do on television um, or any other medium. But that said, I'm also not trying to pay for a bunch of shit that I'm not really, like, consuming. Um, I don't like the the unnecessary overhead, and I do like having free access to content. Like, I think it's okay as a consumer to have some balance. Um, Where this loops back is over time, as networks have been trying to figure out how to deal with this big gulf between cord cutters like me ruining the market... Um, and their traditional model, there have been examples of networks figuring out how to leverage free content on YouTube that comes with a lot of sacrifices on the consumer end. So, like, if I'm trying to watch, mostly on YouTube, I watch late-night comedians. So if I'm trying to watch, like, Samantha Bee or The Daily Show, I get five-minute clips, I get tons of ads, I don't get to see the whole episode, they're out of order. Um, So there's content that I'm missing, but... You know, for most of those shows, there's only one part of the show that I'm trying to get to. And I feel like as a consumer, there's an understanding between me and the network that the trade-off for getting this coveted content for free is that I get a really shitty version of it. Um, And I feel like the whole point of choice on the marketplace is that I, as a consumer, get to make that choice. Like, I am here for the shitty version of the content. Thank you. Well, is it that you're getting shitty content or is it that you're going to watch the pre-roll ad that they've attached to that video? Well, for the network, it's the second option. For me, it's the first. But that's like a decent contract between me and the network, right? Like, they still get the ad revenue. I still get the content. Well, yeah, except now it's more production on their part that they have to do all these, like, cut this episode in six different ways, post on all these channels. Speaking as, like, from my job point of view, that's what is, like, a huge... I don't want to say burden, but it's an extra portion to making a show like that now is that you have to create, like, bite-sized content and you create your show and you create a Facebook Live. And you know what I mean? I mean, I think that's fair, but I think that's where the marketplace is anyway. So even if that wasn't being driven by YouTube in particular, you're still needing that content to throw on Twitter and on your Facebook page and wherever. So that content does still serve multiple purposes, and you can milk that content multiple ways. Um, you know, a lot of the late night comedians or content that gets embedded into like BuzzFeed articles or whoever. So it's yeah. not like that content isn't then getting milked for its production value elsewhere. Sure. Wait, so why are you okay paying for Netflix? I'm okay with paying for Netflix because um, it's one of the only subscription services that I pay for. And the majority of the time, it fulfills all of my needs. So, and like, I hate to admit this because my brand loyalty for Netflix is deep. Um, 
but for a long time it had or yeah for a long time it had all of the content I needed and that is becoming less and less true their content is becoming um a lot more obscure um and the good content is elsewhere which is really sad to see for me but I'm okay with it because I don't need to watch a lot I watch tv once or twice a week um and like an hour or two at a time do you really yeah Unless you and I are on a binge for some reason, I really don't watch much. Um, wow. Yeah. There's usually, like, a third night of a week that is dedicated to YouTube videos. So it's, like, one or two nights a week, a traditional format television, and then, like, one night a week of YouTube, and then the rest of the time is, like, music or podcasts. Um, Interesting. Actually, there's a lot we of live silence. different lives. We really do. Enough. <laughs> believe it or not um but there's also a lot of silence in my house like there's a lot of nights where we're not listening to anything but what are you what are you doing i don't get it <laughs> i'm sorry know. i'm new here enjoying each other's company oh uh. married life am i right <laughs> uh yeah I, I mean i am half of an old married couple so my experience may not like whatever whatever um so long story so much longer I was willing to pay for Netflix because it filled a need at a time I have been accessing content through other channels but I think for the most part if those access points went away other than what I need for us to do this podcast I wouldn't really miss it like most of that stuff I wouldn't go looking for if I didn't have access to it so like you know I have Hulu and basically all I'm watching on there is Jane the Virgin and The Bachelor. When this season of The Bachelor is over, I'm not going to watch it anymore. And when I'm caught up on Jane the Virgin, I'll have nothing else left on Hulu. Um, the only thing I'm accessing on HBO Go is Game of Thrones. And I have tried like hell to get into HBO Go. I have tried so hard to find other content supported by HBO that I have interest in. And other than... Uh, last week tonight with John Oliver which I get through YouTube all I want is Game of Thrones and the problem with last week tonight with John Oliver is that there's only one segment of every show that I want to watch and I get that one segment on YouTube so like the cost benefit analysis of being a, a cord cutter is that my content is really scattered and I have to work harder to get to specific content but like if I weren't able to get to it in spite of my hard work, I just wouldn't watch it and I'd be fine. That's interesting. I don't know if I could live like that. <laughs> I still don't. But, I mean, I use, in addition to cable, I have every platform that you have access to, I have access to. Mm -hmm. Which is a lot. So sometimes you have to be like, I want to watch this show, and I go to On Demand, and then I go to Hulu, and then I go to Amazon, and then I go to Netflix, and I'm like, alright, someone has to have this. Mm -hmm. So... It's still a struggle to get content. I think that's not even a cord-cutting issue at this point. I think it's a too many platforms and, like, too many weird licenses, like, with each yeah. network. And each show has, like, its own distribution cycle, and it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Like, even for Fox, I've noticed, their on-demand programming now comes, like, two or three days after it airs and not one day after like there's no reason for that but fox is always going to be difficult because That's... they don't want me to be happy no kidding i mean to me that almost makes it more frustrating 
like to me the whole point of paying for traditional cable is so that there are no loopholes um well right right. and so i mean i know that on demand is like an extra service and so it's not necessarily in the network's best interest to give you the best service via on demand because they want you watching live but you part of the cable package is on demand and they do use the on demand to justify the added cost so they shouldn't be making you jump through hoops well, right. And it, like, messes with their Live Plus 3, I would imagine, right? So I don't understand yeah. why Fox does the things that they do. They've always been, like, the bane of my existence <laughs> because even their, like, their FX programming, everything they have on Hulu is, like, they wait the f- an eight-day cycle mm-hmm. so you can never actually be a live viewer because you're now a Live Plus, like, 30 or whatever they're going to call you. Like, yeah. you can never get back into the cycle unless you hop on board with like cable i guess but also so here's a question for you okay why don't you get over the air free hd um because would you well no i wouldn't um because i still am never going to be a live viewer and that would still require me to have to be on a network at a time and that's just not how i live my life um no, you wouldn't need to be on a network. There's also so little on at any given time that I would actually, like, bother to go through the effort for. Um, like, my but life is watch, just not terribly conducive to live television. You could watch Designated Survivor in real time. I can also watch Designated Survivor on a two- to seven-day lag via a streaming service. You could watch Kevin Can Wait on CBS. The fuck is Kevin Can Wait? <laughs> I, I can't even you say on CBS begin to CBS. tell you. CBS. <laughs> uh, there's also this really great thing that happened after the digital transition, which my television is older than the digital transition, uh, where I never got my digital converter box, and so now I'd have to pay for it. And you know how I feel about paying oh. for things. But it's a perfectly nice TV, so I can't upgrade the TV anytime soon. Yeah, you can. You can get a smart TV... I feel like, though, that transitions nicely to the too long didn't read, which is just that, like, my life is not conducive to these strings and constraints of cable. Therefore, I have migrated away. And if networks could, like, pull their heads out for a hot second, they would see that there are people like me who are perfectly willing to pay for content, just not in the model that is set up currently. Some of it for me is just a matter of principle because of how I feel about media conglomerates and consumerism and like big companies and corporate and advertising and like the You can't see me, but I'm rolling my eyes dramatically. I'm not telling you not to roll your eyes. I'm just telling you that I have principles. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when they give me a reason to be self-righteous. Yeah, that's fair. So, do you feel like you've had a chance to make your case? I feel like I'm still right, if that's what you mean. <laughs> What's your too long didn't read? I gave mine. Mine is the convenience of cable and being someone who needs to see everything immediately when it comes out to stay up with like the internet and Twitter and all those things makes it valuable enough for me to have cable. And I also just like the surprise elements of 
being able to catch something that you never otherwise would have watched because you have cable. Here's an interesting thing that I had never thought of before, but came to mind as you were just speaking. How do you think spoiler culture plays into this conversation? Because for me, as a spoiler addict, um, for whom spoilers do not ruin the watching experience, I can stay caught up with what's happening on the internet by reading what critics are saying and then going back and getting to the show whenever I get around to it. And it doesn't that, like, change my experience. That literally gives me hives, like, just <laughs> thinking about that. In fact, for me, it enhances the experience because um, I am watching differently if I know what's coming at me. Um, and not just in a way that, like, I suddenly know all the red herrings and, like, I can watch for the symbolism, but there are certain things that, like, are better for me if I know what's coming, um, mostly because I'm easily distracted. But for people, I mean, I think it was interesting that you pointed out that being able to watch live is important to you um, so that you can feel like you are still relevant in the conversation happening around you. Um, and I just wonder, like, how much of that is specific to spoiler culture i mean it definitely is for shows that i'm dedicated to so like i don't want to miss the americans i don't even want to wait i was just talking to kirstie that i want to get dvr added onto my cable package because i have to work three episodes of the americans and i don't want to wait until the next day to watch it i want to be able to come home and watch it that night which is actually a crazy person thing to do because why would you spend extra money for that but that's just how it works in my brain is like i know i'm going to go on twitter and see all these spoilers about what happened and that would be it would ruin it for me a little bit i would like to be surprised and i am definitely one of these people who like watching the americans all like scream at things because they are terrifying and they just happen (laughs) and i wasn't expecting them um but that's part of why i like it and why i watch it Mm -hmm. um so i'm definitely not here for spoilers like I try to stay away from everything about anything I'm trying to watch if I'm not caught up yet I won't listen to like a podcast about a show that I might maybe watch someday because I don't want it to be spoilery I'm also someone who didn't get the last two Harry Potter books spoiled (laughs) for like five years and then it happened to me and it was terrible but I persisted for a really long time even before spoilers were like a big thing that's a story Um, that I definitely want to hear sometime because you have never disclosed that to me really really we have never had this conversation that's shocking it is well yeah anyway anyway sorry (laughs) um yeah so I mean I think it is important for me to be able to watch things live because of my concern for being spoiled versus Kirstie's like love of being spoiled um at the same time like it was just interesting to see like the Oscars were on this past weekend and I stayed up for it which was stupid and I hated myself for it but I was like sitting there it's 11 o'clock and I'm like cool so I just watched like the documentary short award and I'm like I don't care about this why am I here and then there was a moment that was at the very end that was mm-hmm. a big thing on the internet. So I texted Kirsty at oh, 12 o'clock at night being like, I can't believe this just happened. And then I'm sure you saw it when in I the morning yeah. on BuzzFeed and on uh, Twitter and on everything else. But you were catching clips and I saw it live and we just had very different experiences watching that. And I do have moments occasionally like, and that was one of the rare ones where um, I kind of wish I had seen it live. 
Um, like that's one I kind of would have liked to have watched. And when I watch the clips now, I'm like watching everything happening on stage and wondering what it was like to watch that confusion. Like there's a moment where um, the second producer to give a speech is talking and the two producers flanking him are looking at each other and one mouths to the other. We lost as like everyone's running around. I'm feeling like it's safe to spoil this, especially because by the time people hear this, oh, like, yeah. you know, you can't escape Oscar news. Um, anyway, and like, it was a baffling enough thing for everyone experiencing it. But now there's like all these little signs and like watching it all happen. Like, I just wonder how baffling it must have been in real life. Um, there's also some really memorable moments of television that I'm grateful I watched live, um, particularly uh I watched the election of 2008 and was watching TV when they announced Barack Obama's win. I watched his inauguration live. Um, and those are the first two things coming to my brain. But those are like, you know, someday when your kids ask you where you were when this thing happens, like, I will remember because I was watching TV live when those things happened. But Did you watch the series finale of like the office or parks and rec live no uh we watched the whole last season of parks and rec live you and i did together right so like wasn't that a fun bonding experience it was not if you were on delay but you remember how challenging (laughs) (laughs) that's all this is about it's another entry in the love story No, but, like, you remember how challenging that was for me. Like, it was, what, Wednesday nights? And every single Wednesday night, Kelsey would be like, oh, it's time for Parks and Rec. I was like, fuck, I have to be somewhere, meaning on my couch at, like, a scheduled time. But that's a lot of work for someone who doesn't schedule their life, which I don't. It really ruined your life. It ruined my entire life, except it didn't because I would do anything for Leslie Note. How's your juice? Oh, I'm straight podcasting with my podcasting juice (laughs) um so how are we feeling about this conversation how are we feeling about our cord cutting differences i mean we're 33 minutes into this cord cutting conversation so i think everyone else is ready for us to be done with it we could talk about (laughs) yeah facing check 33 minutes all right well if you our lovely listeners who i presume we have about two of by now Um, have any thoughts or feelings about cord cutting or anything else we've talked about so far feel free to hit us on the twitter machine at Hate watch with us. Hate watch with us. Hate watch with Ooh. us. <laughs> the infinite hate watch with us feedback loop. Um, <laughs> or feel free to send us hate mail at hatewatchwithus at gmail.com. Um, so, All right. Yeah. So, Kelsey, you had a spectacular red alert for me t- uh, today. Was it today? Yesterday? Recently. Yesterday. Do you want to explain what a red alert is to our lovely listeners? All right, all three listeners, this is going to be really important for you to know moving forward. So a red alert is anything that um, garners an immediate reaction and requires that you be at attention to receive it. Um, These are sometimes uh, media announcements, sometimes life events, Sometimes the life events of other people who we follow closely. Just leave that one there. Uh, (laughs) Put that on the table and walk away. All right. (laughs) We're not stalkers. No, never. Um, What am I missing? What else falls into the category of a red alert? I mean, I think that's it, but I think we should talk about the 
medium in which a red alert is received? (laughs) Um, So Kelsey and I use multiple platforms to keep our love story afloat, and that involves Facebook chat, um, Slack. We have a Slack channel. Um, We also communicate via text message on four different phones from time to time. Um, And so depending on the level of a red alert, we can trigger namely Slack or namely Facebook, depending on during the workday at Slack, um, during the morning and evening is Facebook. Um, depending on the level of the red alert, though, we may trigger all of those. Every damn thing <laughs> that we can possibly use to communicate with each other, we are using. And it it includes a series of caps lock. It includes a series of the words red alert. Um, you, this one That's was it. golden. <laughs> no, there's other things. Like this one, you were like, you said red alert. And then what did you say? Like... You said, where are you? But it was more interesting than that. I did? Yeah, it was good. I I could pull out my phone and check, but that's a lot of work. Uh, Just take I our word for it. Either. It was pretty great. Um, anyway, so this was a red alert that I found breaking on Twitter, but like lightly breaking, not really breaking. So I knew it wouldn't have made it to Kirstie's media circuit yet. <laughs> and it was about... Our friend, Matt Wiener, he's not our friend. Is it Wiener or Weiner? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going with Wiener, guys. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, Matt, if you're listening. (laughs) Matt, Wiener, Weiner, if you're out there, please know that this comes from a place of the utmost respect and admiration for your work. And, like, an equal amount of douchery that you give to us. (laughs) But only by your loving grace. (laughs) Anyway, so Matt Wienerweiner of (laughs) The Sopranos and, more famously, Mad Men, um, is making a new show. It's coming out on Amazon, worth noting, because I know Kirstie hates using Amazon streaming so much. Re our previous conversation, I do actually have access to Amazon streaming via my Amazon Prime. But let me tell you, and I won't tell you right now, but let me tell you how much beef I have with that. All right. Back to you, Kelsey. All right. So, Matt's new show (laughs) (laughs) is, I'm sorry, um, is a show that... I described on Twitter, and no one appreciated, literally no one appreciated, except for Kirstie, as the live-action remake of Anastasia. How they are describing this is a, I believe, present-day take on people who think they are related to the Romanoffs, and it's like a 10-episode series or something like that. I thought they were doing it as a period piece. Oh, I don't know. No, I don't think so. Oh, shit. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but okay. the important thing is Matt Wienerweiner is making Anastasia all over again. <laughs> Tweet that shit out. Which is pretty fucking important. Um, this Anastasia, the 1996 Don Bluth animated film um, from Fox Century Studios is like one of... Not the, Disney. <laughs> not Disney, and that is important, um, is probably one of the most formative, not even like media texts, like formative presences on like the planet for me in my life and um my good friend kelsey um has never watched 
Or no, she has watched Disney movies. She does not like Disney movies and did not like Disney movies growing up, but she did like Anastasia. And so that's something that we have. No, you're getting this wrong. I am not getting this wrong. That is what you disclosed to me when we were in college. Yeah, but you don't know things about my life, Kiersey. You can't tell, but I'm (laughs) sipping my wine and giving you side eye. So, first of all, as I explained a day ago, I did like Disney movies. Thank you. Certain Disney movies. I really was into, in the order of which they came out, maybe. No, the order in which I was obsessed with them is The Little Mermaid, 101 Dalmatians, The Jungle Book, Beauty and the Beast, and Cinderella. And then came The Parent Trap, and it was all downhill from there. But for animated classics, those five are the ones that I liked. My sister was the one who was actually obsessed with Anastasia, and when I saw it in the theaters, I was scared of it. Aww. There were definitely yeah. parts that I was scared of. I can really I mean, I liked it more as I got older, and I watched it a million, billion, trillion times, but my first impression was that I didn't like it because I was scared of it. Yeah. Let the record show. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, so... I my history with this movie goes back to even before it came out. Um, I have never actually disclosed this to you, so this is a very important moment in our friendship. Ooh, but, can we have a sound effect for that? Uh, we should have. There's. You want me to play dramatic piano? Yeah, I do. That's oh, not that's so good. It's not quite like build up to an announcement dramatic though. Wait. It's pretty close. Sure. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like you're gonna be like. I'm pregnant with someone else's baby. <laughs> I'm pregnant with Dimitri's baby. There you um, go. If only. So when I was a child, my favorite movie, we're going to take a real big detour, but it's going to come back. My favorite movie was Father of the Bride Part 2. It was. It's very important that it be known it was not Part 1, it was Part 2. And I loved it so much that once a week, my mom would take me to Blockbuster and we would rent it. And it got to the point that on whatever day it was that we would go to Blockbuster, they started putting it aside for me. And then eventually, they just gave the movie to my mom and was like, you keep it. Like, this is your movie now. Um, so, anyway, the, in the previews for that movie was the trailer for Anastasia. So, I knew that movie was coming for, like, eons before it actually came out because I watched Father of the Bride Part 2 so many times. Um, and then, so I was like six when this movie came out, because it's 1996, and I saw this movie in theaters four and a half times, and I don't know how- Four and a half? Four and a half. Uh, we had to leave partway through the last time I saw it to go pick up my grandmother. Um, so, but I don't know how much y'all know about children developmentally at around age six, but to get a child to sit still in a theater for one showing is amazing. I sat through that movie four and a half times. In a theater as a six-year-old. So tell us, like, the Cliff Notes version of Anastasia for anyone who's not familiar with this classic film. Oh, my God. It Slash, like, historical story. Yes. So, okay, so there's layers here. So, historical story. um, The Romanovs were a family dynasty that ruled Russia for hundreds and hundreds of years. The final czar, um, Nicholas, was murdered in the uh, communist takeover of Russia. Um, All of the Romanovs, including all of the children, were taken hostage, held prisoner, and then eventually assassinated. Um, 
rumors flew across the world for a period of many, many years, um, including up till these modern times of ours, that um, one of the daughters, Anastasia, had escaped imprisonment and was still alive. There were multiple famous frauds of people who tried to convince the world that they were actually related to the Romanovs and they were Anastasia. Um, Science has now told us that Anastasia died. Sorry, guys. So someone looked at all of that and said, cute story for kids <laughs> well in fairness it first came with the ingrid bergman movie in what the 50s where yep. um a con man finds this lowly woman and decides to pass her off as anastasia um and has marginal success that's that's that movie um also like a very dark adult movie and so then Don Bluth comes along, having just left Disney Studios and stealing all of their magical production secrets, and says, children's movie. Yes. Also rom-com. <laughs> also musical. Musical, rom-com, children's story. Also communism. Let's go. And we're on board. <laughs> Uh, one of the first times I rewatched this movie as an adult after taking many years off during my teenage years, I uh, had a really good quote that made it to my mom's Facebook about this movie being a um, anti-communist text with like lots of trauma from the Cold War. So that's where we're Ooh. at in uh, right. in this film. So in this film, um, Anastasia is about eight years old when the communist takeover happens during a grand ball celebrating her family's rule. She's separated from her grandmother, who's an important figure in the movie, not so much an important figure in real life. Um, she ends up in an orphanage 10 years later. She's reunited with a con man who is like, hey, great, I'll take you to Paris. We'll try to find your grandmother, who happens to be the Dowager Empress of Russia. Um, he convinces her that she's probably Anastasia. The audience knows she's Anastasia. Lots of musical adventures happen across all of Europe. They go to Paris. They fall in love. He realizes she's actually Anastasia, so he can't be with her because he's a kitchen boy and he doesn't want to ruin her life. Um, epic battle happens on a bridge with Rasputin. Um, she's reunited with the grandmother, and then she leaves on a boat and makes out with Dimitri and lives everyone's best life. That's for damn sure. Yes. So, I don't know. Where do you want to start with Anastasia? I feel like I just ran like a Cliff Notes fucking marathon. Um, so where do we even start? Um, I have now watched this movie twice this evening in preparation for this recording. You did? I did. Dear God. Yeah. I'm very efficient with my time. I haven't seen it in like maybe 10 years, so <laughs> this is where we're at. I have also seen the new Broadway musical, and I'm going to see it again at the end of March. So, But... Let me ask you a thing. Sure. Have you seen Anastasia on Ice? <laughs> I have not seen Anastasia on Ice. Yeah, I have. I, I, I tell me more. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we need the music back. So what I was digging around my house for before we started this, and I can't seem to find, is the like book they gave you that had pictures from Anastasia on Ice. Um, but it was similar to Disney on Ice, very, a little suspiciously similar to Disney on Ice, if you ask me. <laughs> um, I saw this at my current place of employment, and from what I remember, it was as magical as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. um, Anastasia was there, Dimitri was there, they did all their songs. I can't imagine it would have been like that much material to cover, <laughs> so I don't remember that much of it, but I do, I swear I have that book somewhere. 
and I want to show it to you sometime because it's so glorious. I know there's like shiny pages and like things that move when you twist the pages around. It's like real great. That's so fun. How did they recreate the ball gown from the end? Do you think I remember that? (laughs) Well, the ball gown is like the most important part of both the original 1950 whatever Ingrid Bergman movie and the Don Bluth movie. So, so you're talking you're talking about the yellow dress? Yeah. I got a visual for you. It's coming at you. <laughs> coming in hot. Um, Via just, Slack right now. Nice. Can you switch to Slack? All right. Yeah. Um, just what every podcasting audience loves. Uh, the hosts looking at pictures. It is a yellow dress. It is long. It looks like a figure skating costume, and she's wearing ice skates. <laughs> Beautiful. So I know where I can begin. Um, Hold, full stop. Full stop. The conspiracy continues. The people who put on Disney on Ice at a time also put on Anastasia on Ice. Oh. Mm. How do you think they got those rights? Or did they just switch Mm. companies? I don't know. I have a lot of questions. I don't want to know. They did an okay job on the costuming. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Particularly Dimitri's green vest thing. You have a lot of feels about Dimitri. This is the wrong... That was not the one true Dimitri, for what it's worth. Um, I will still only only accept Scott McGilvery from HGTV as the one true Dimitri. Um, the guy who <laughs> Tell plays... Tell us more. The, well, he's got the most perfect Dimitri hair. Like, Scott McGilvery has a sweet, cro- crooked smile and, like a boyish charm about him and while you may think that he has wiles he's actually quite honest and pure deep down inside and will do the right thing at the end of the episode yeah yeah much like my other my other true dimitri flynn rider yes (laughs) flynn rider is my other true dimitri Let's go deep in there while I'm trolling some articles about who Dimitri could be, because there are other thoughts on this, believe it or not. (laughs) I'm glad I'm not the only one who's put brain power here. Yeah, so just go for it. Flynn Rider is basically a Dimitri analog, but in a different story. Um, A story I love almost as much as Anastasia, except I will never love anything more than Anastasia. Uh, Flynn Rider is also a con man who secretly has a heart of gold but hasn't accessed his heart of gold in a long time because he has been like a lonely orphan um trying to fend for himself but then he finds the woman who changes his life and uh turns him into the like sweet flawless man who just wants to do the right thing and like all for the sake of love also dimitri had like a great jawline happening. He also, and like, I know he's a cartoon character. I know this is gross and controversial, but he had a good butt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and the podcasting juice has been shot off. <laughs> like, Don Bluth knew what he was doing. Yeah? Yeah. I liked the fact, so for my favorite thing about Anastasia today is how much um, of a rom-com it is and Mm -hmm. how much, like, back-and-forth, like, banter they have and how actually funny it is as an adult. Um, I feel like it broke the mold of a lot of Disney Mm -hmm. movies and pushed back, like, a little bit more towards a movie that adults could enjoy. But without using, like, inappropriate adult humor that just floats above kids' heads. Like, there's no crude jokes that kids just don't understand but parents would. Um 
it like accesses a more mature audience without like alienating kids exactly as you're saying that i just found this gif of her like sticking her tongue out at him on the train and i was like yeah that's mature (laughs) i never said they were mature i only said they weren't inappropriate that's fair yeah um so another fun fact i have about anastasia is that the bird that we had as a pet for 10 years was named puka oh really yeah my mom has a kitten named anya Look at us. Look at us go. Aww. So the what I was going to say before we came to a full stop um, and then went careening into a ditch. Um, I have two fundamental issues with Anastasia, um, even though it's a flawless masterpiece. The first fundamental issue um, is that Anastasia somehow goes through the entire thing without realizing that she's part of a con. And the other fundamental issue I have is with the script writing, the actual screenplay of the scene where Anastasia and her grandmother meet, finally, um, after Dimitri trying to con the grandmother into speaking with her. Um, because, and what? so one time I rewrote this scene, and it was fucking beautiful, but I didn't write it down. And so I don't remember how I wrote what? it. But I know what? it was so it was a wasted opportunity um it could have been my breakthrough in the industry um so yeah those are my two issues your two issues so how would you tell me more about the script writing issue okay so like, what would you change so at the beginning of the film there where there's the scene that after Anastasia has broken into the Peterhof palace and she's like wandering around she just finished singing once upon a December and Dimitri discovers her kneeling on the ballroom floor there's whole conversation ensues where Dimitri's trying to figure out her deal but he realizes that she looks the most like Anastasia and you of course know at this point that Dimitri has been interviewing women to play Anastasia so that he can bring her to Paris and try to get the reward money from the grandmother. Um, so he's he's looking at her. He feels like she looks like her. Um, there's a massive portrait of the Romanoffs behind her, and so you get to see how much she looks like Anastasia. Um, and all Anastasia wants is uh, travel papers to go to Paris because it's communist Russia, so you need visas and shit. Um, so anyway, this whole conversation ensues where Dimitri is like, oh, you want travel papers? Well, we have some, but it's only for Anastasia. And then they, he and his sidekick Vlad explain like the history um, and why they're trying to reunite Anastasia with her grandmother. And he's like circling her and he's like, well, have you ever thought about the possibility? Like, yes, every single random human on the face of the planet has just spent the last 10 years sitting around being like, huh, I wonder if I'm Anastasia. Like, no one thinks that, Dimitri. But also... (laughs) (laughs) Also, he just explained his whole con. Like, he didn't say that there was reward money, but he did say that he's been interviewing women to bring to the grandmother to prove that they are Anastasia. And he even says to her, like, because she gets all worried about having to prove that she's someone she's not, and he's like, well, you don't have to prove it. Like, we're just going to bring you and let the grandmother decide. So she, it has already been revealed to her that they don't necessarily believe that she's Anastasia. Like, they kind of make her think that eventually. But, like, over the course of the journey across all of fucking Europe, 
not in the moment in the Peterhof Palace when she agrees to the con. So then you get through the whole damn movie, and there's the dramatic scene at the opera house where she ends up smacking him in the face for being a con man, and she, you know, she overhears this conversation between Dimitri and the Dowager Empress, where the Dowager Empress is like, oh, Dimitri, you're the con man from St. Petersburg who is holding auditions. That is actually the line. Um, Angela Lansbury delivered it better than me, but what can you do? Um, and Anastasia is standing outside the door, like, clutching her pearls in shock. And it's like, Anya, we had this conversation an hour ago at the beginning of the movie. Where were you? It's true. Question for you. Was this movie how you learned about what a con man is? Because it was for me. How I learned about... I didn't know what a con man was until I saw this movie. Monarchy? A con man. (laughs) (laughs) What we've been talking about. (laughs) So for listeners at home, we have really bad signal. (laughs) Sorry. We've been doing a good job of hiding it, right? We have been until that moment. (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna be really hard not to make that just sound like podcasting juice (laughs) um so yes this is actually where i learned about con men and i look at those lessons i will say that i was convinced that that was like a thing that like con men were just kind of everywhere and um you know like in real life scammers are everywhere but i thought that like they were all long cons where like some dude would try to be your friend and you would have no idea until like months later when you were in Paris. That's how that <laughs> That's works. That's how that works. Um, <laughs> she dropping stuff? <laughs> yeah. Um, not my microphone though, so keep calm and record on or something. Oh. oh. <laughs> there is a third beef that I have not aired yet. This is my airing of grievances. The third one is the scene where, um, so Anya has just had her whole interview with Sophie, who's like the Dowager Empress's gatekeeper, um, to prove that she's Anastasia. And they all hatch this plan because the Dowager Empress has said she's not going to like receive any more women claiming to be Anastasia because she's had her heart broken too many times. Um, So Sophie helps them concoct this plan where they're going to all go to the Russian ballet performance in Paris and set up like an ambush basically so that the dowager empress has to meet anastasia and then we'll realize it's her and um dimitri and vlad are standing outside talking and anastasia comes running out the door and she's like sophie's gonna take us shopping and like in my adulthood i have some appreciation for it because it's like this poor girl from an orphanage has no memory of being royal and literally owns two dresses she owns the dress that she was in at the beginning of the movie when she left the orphanage and now the blue dress that dimitri bought for her and so like sure she probably wants to be glamorous in paris of all places but growing up as a kid with like so much admiration and respect for anastasia um the character and like hating feminine norms and gender presentation um that always really irked me. Interesting. It just seemed really out of character. But, like, once she be, finds out she's, a, like, a royal descendant, sort of, but not anymore, like, doesn't she, like, get her fancy yellow dress and all this stuff? Like, isn't that kind of part of that life? Yeah, so then she gets her fancy yellow dress and her giant-ass fucking crown. Her massive right. crown. 
and uh, then she's wearing these fantastic sparkly high heels and she beats the shit out of Rasputin and eventually kills him on a bridge um, after saving herself from falling into an icy river in the middle of winter um, so she does like reclaim some badass woman points by doing that That's in her yellow dress with her diamond tiara and her sparkly high heels right so why do you think this movie didn't take off the way other movies at this time did take off with the people that we grew up with? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's partially not having the Disney machine behind it. Uh, I mean, Don Bluth stole a lot of resources from his time with Disney Studios, but that does not mean he had the full force of like Disney marketing. Um, you know, Anastasia is not part of the Disney lineup anywhere. Um, I think it was that That's uh, his animating style is very different than Disney Animation Studios. Um, and I think it looks, I this is not a reflection of my personal feelings, um, because I actually have strong feelings about the artistic direction. Uh, but I think some people think it's like shoddy compared to Disney Animation. Um, I don't know. Well, this was like also one of the last hand-drawn animated movies before like Toy Story dropped and all that. That's true and it was and Shrek and so like, one thing that. that's interesting about it is it was one of the first movies to start um using CGI so it's yeah. it's a blend of animation and CGI and they were one of the first animation studios to do that um but you're right this was 1996 so it was right before the drop of full full CGI movies and the rise of Pixar. Interesting. So what's your favorite song from the Anastasia soundtrack? Man. Either um, Journey to the Past or Once Upon a December. Um, That first one is like such an interesting empowerment tale. Uh, And the second one's just beautiful. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if I have a favorite per se, but all the other ones that are like... As far as you can be in a cartoon musical, like, <laughs> big group numbers yep. are, like, so memorable in my mind that even just seeing the names of them right now, I'm like, oh, yeah, that song, where they do that thing, and I'm like, oh. Like, in the dark of the night? Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, learn to do it. Like, that's a good one. I it sounds really dirty. I hate that song. <laughs> and, right, but you remember everything about that scene I do, for sure. They kept that song in the Broadway musical, and I was rip shit. Tell me more about the musical, because I'm very curious. Um, I actually don't remember that scene. There was a really cool thing that they did. <laughs> they kept it in there. I don't remember it. <laughs> I know what happened. So um, this was an off-Broadway preview, so it was on the Hartford stage, which is a really small theater. Um, it's not like a full Broadway stage. Uh, but they did do a really cool maneuver with a bike and some moving screens. That's all I remember. It didn't do a lot for like the St. Petersburg Tourism Board, though, at all. No. <laughs> No. <laughs> like, not even a little bit. No, it was not a flattering portrayal of communist Russia. One thing that I was noticing on this rewatch, which it has bothered me before, but, you know, Russia is in the news a lot now, and people are doing a lot of, like, joking uh, Russian accents and things on the comedy shows and whatnot. Um, but in, um, in the scene of Rumor in St. Petersburg... 
they have all the extras, the animated extras who are like whispering to each other in Russian. And the way that they chose to animate that they were speaking Russian, not English, is by having these large cartoon tongues just like flap around everywhere. Like apparently in Russian, it's just like a very <laughs> tongueish language and their tongues just like flap in the breeze. <laughs> That's interesting. I like that. <laughs> like now you won't be able to unsee it. So, like, should I watch it again on Netflix tonight? Is that what you're telling me? Yes, I'm telling you to watch it again on Netflix tonight. And I'm telling all of you to watch it on Netflix forever. Until Netflix gets rid of it. Oh, my God. There was a scare for the last few months where I could not get it on Netflix. And um, I have lost all of my downloaded files of it, including ones that were downloaded legally through purchasing um and yeah and i don't have anything that can play dvds so of course i own it on dvd which now for all of you doubters out there means that i have purchased this thing multiple times and will purchase it multiple times over um but i don't have any copies this is like my biggest stress point of the age of streaming everything is it like someday like what if netflix gets rid of friday night lights Mm -hmm. and i need to watch it again like what do i do i don't own the dvd copies i don't own any other copies of it i used to vhs record all of my shows and save them Mm -hmm. like what do i do now you're gonna be hella screwed right so that's my like biggest fear so i appreciate you being also afraid (laughs) (laughs) always afraid this is solidarity there (laughs) so what else do you have on anastasia what did we miss what did i not express feelings about um top outfit from anastasia Mm. Uh, the yellow dress at the end is pretty hard to contend with. Um, however, I liked it better after the battle with Rasputin. Agreed. Right? I think her cape, like the little shoulder cape thing, was way more effective in tatters. Yeah, but I, I agree. I am super partial to her trench coat getup from the beginning of the film. It was a really flattering trench coat. My weird sister went as Anastasia in that particular <laughs> outfit for Halloween this year. It is like... 2016. <laughs> 2016 oh my god how did i miss that i don't know it was fun friends with her on facebook yeah you are um i do feel like the trench coat is like the most popular cosplay because anyone can buy an ill-fitting brown trench coat it's true (laughs) i also really liked that other yellow dress that she wore which was like really tattered and gross but like the one under the trench coat like, it just had a little bit of personality to it. It was gross. Yeah. Like, it definitely wasn't smelling good, but... <laughs> That's all right. Well, I'm sure uh, my favorite sh- maybe could have been that blue dress, though. Really? There were two blue dresses that she wore, and I liked both of them. So, I loved that the dark blue dress from the ballet so much as a kid that when I was about nine or ten, I found... It was at, like, Claire's, I think. I found a nail polish that was navy blue and had glitter in it, and it reminded me of her cape. So I I couldn't paint my nails because I didn't have the attention span. I'd always fuck them up. But I wore that goddamn nail polish every day for, like, a year. I love it. I also had a prom dress. I did not buy it for this reason, but I had a prom dress that was long and, like, royal blue and satin and had a really deep back with, like, a big, long blue bow that draped all the way down the dress, and I felt like Anastasia in it. This has been such a fun lesson. It has been. I This is, like, a bottomless pit for me. I could talk about this for the rest of my life. 
Oh, I just found some weird ass Anastasia cosplayers on the internet. This Tell is my me sign more. to go. <laughs> this is my sign to go. In too deep. Well, anyway, if you have thoughts or feelings about Anastasia or about cord cutting, I will Everyone remind should. you. Everyone should. You must have feelings about Anastasia because I need to talk about this more. I know I I know by looking at the little sound bars from our recording that I dominated the side of the conversation and I need to talk about this more. So feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HateWatchWithUs or send us hate mail, HateWatchWithUs at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And tune in next time and hate watch with us. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <Bye>. Goodbye. <laughs>